Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Much has been reported on the opioid epidemic and how hard hit we've been here in Northeast Ohio. But the daily lives of those struggling with heroin addiction are typically not accurately and fairly reported in the media. That fact is exactly what inspired Amelia Sharon to write her first screenplay, Independent, The Heroin Project. Amelia is a sophomore at Kent State University, my alma mater. Independent is being produced by the Akron Civic Theater as part of the millennial Uh, theater project and will be performed August 4th and 5th in Akron, Ohio at the Civic Theater. So, Amelia, welcome. Thank you. Hello. Okay. (laughs) So, Amelia, you've been, uh, you've lived your entire life here in Northeast Ohio, growing up in the Youngstown area and then graduating from Howland and uh, high school, that is, and then attending a uh, Kent State University where you're a sophomore. Yes, sir. So tell us a little bit about what you've witnessed as the opioid epidemic has descended upon our community and how it's impacted your generation. I've witnessed a lot of children my age just falling apart from this, uh, with whether it's their parents using or grandparents, um, their siblings falling to pieces or even themselves. Uh, My graduating class... I know that there were quite some users now who are still using. They're not currently in recovery, although they, they are fighting. But ever since I was in high school, we have lost eight graduates of Howland High School. Oh, my. How many in your graduating class? In my graduating class, we haven't lost anyone yet. Oh, okay. But your high school. Yes, talking. my okay. high school. Gotcha. Overall high school. Mm-hmm. But it's just heartbreaking to see that mm-hmm. these are the kids that I've grown up with and to see what they've become because I, I knew them. They, they, were, they were all so much fun to be around. They were so funny and intelligent and caring, compassionate people who had fun hobbies and were good at art or even very creative. And to see what paths they, they headed down is heartbreaking, not only for me, but to also see their families in our community go through this situation. Um, I have a dear friend of mine who I used to dance with, and her mother is a user, and she's been in and out of recovery and rehabilitation, and it breaks my heart because 
you you know how badly she wants a stable relationship with her, but it it's difficult to grasp on just because she's not herself. And that's the that's the dinger is that these addicts are not themselves. And they still are way deep down, but it, it will take time, it will take recovery. And just recently, uh, Drug Wars took a recent Howland graduate. Um, he, I won't give his name, <laughs> but um, he was murdered. Oh boy. Just two days after he told his family he wanted to go into recovery. So you've just seen a lot and in your short I've, 20 years I've of I've seen and heard. A lot of it is hearing around our community, but also seeing is people just walking around the streets at night or even people overdosed in their cars and parking lots or even people in restaurants just passing out unconscious um, just here in Kent State or even back in my hometown uh, downtown at Eurogyro or Euro Euro, um, there was a man who passed out unconscious, and I ran over, being the nosy person I am, and I was like, "What's wrong?" And I looked down, and he's blue. And I said, "Is he allergic to anything?" His friend said, "No." I said, "Has he ingested any drugs?" They said, "No." I was like, "Be honest." They said, "Yeah." And I asked them, "What was it?" And they said, "Cocaine." I was like, did you have any? They're like, no, 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 we don't do that. I was like, where'd he get it from? They're like, well, he is from Akron. And just two days prior, there was a release, a media release, saying that they have found fentanyl-laced cocaine. So that's what he had overdosed on. And so I go down, and I'm positioning his legs so that we can get the blood flow from his feet back into his belly and even patting him with cold water and trying to re- keep him remain partially conscious, uh, just so the paramedics could come and and take him to the hospital, give him Narcan. And so they they come, and I'm telling them everything that I did to, to help him maintain his, his heart rate and his blood pressure. And the paramedics just have the most regular-looking faces. They, it's like they didn't care or like they were just so used to it. Yeah, maybe they've seen it the, so many times already. Oh, yeah. Already. The, the, the way they picked him up was like, they picked this man up like cattle, put him on a gurney, and took him to the ambulance. And that was it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what just happened? There's a human being in front of me dying, and they come in, and it was just so normal to them. And that that affected me greatly. I... It genuinely just made my mind race and race and race because how could people just let that happen to another person? Because imagine if that was someone you loved. And I know that's so cliche. Like, imagine if that was you or if that was someone you knew. But then again, that does take an open mind. Yeah. So you've also been affected greatly by how the opioid epidemic is covered in the media. And that's part of what inspired you to write this play. Oh, yes. Can you comment on that? Yes. Uh, the East Liverpool photo of the grandmother yeah. and her boyfriend and the child in the back seat really itched me. Why? I, oh, Being a public relations major, I, I live for advocacy and being the voice of the voiceless and for, for earned media. And 
that photo sure was earned media. And I thought, okay, they're, they're trying to spread awareness. But at the same time, as someone who understands the addiction community, I thought it was heartbreaking. I, I thought it was awful for that family because those grandparents have grandchildren and nieces and nephews and sons and daughters and that child. Think of what he's going to grow up and think or, or become. I mean, maybe this could empower him to, to be a part of the movement in fighting the epidemic or maybe he could take it for granted. You never know. So, but don't you think to some degree that photo uh, educated others and got I, the dialogue going? I think exactly. I think it did educate others on what's happening, on what is occurring, but also it takes many different perspectives. There, there are many different looking glasses through that photo. And I think that's the thing is that we're on so many different pages and that there are so many different aspects of that photo that we could take from, but we just don't know which one is right. But in the end, there doesn't have to be a right or a wrong. It just has to be reality. It just has to be understood. So, but at the end of the day, your overall impression of the photo was that really was damning and damaging for the family mm-hmm. and just a tragedy, mm-hmm. I think, is what I'm reading. Oh, yes. Yeah. Their, their, blaze, their faces were not blurred. And personally, I think it was invasion of their privacy, although it was a police officer who took it, and it was on social media. Okay, social media, up for grabs. But their faces weren't blurred. Their names were out there already, probably even before their families knew anything. And that's what really got me. And most people wouldn't do anything about that. But what did you do? You wrote a play. Yeah. (laughs) You got spun up, you got focused, and you wrote a play. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about the play. Let's start at the high level. What type of play would you describe it as far as the genre is concerned you've got because you mix in a little bit of humor and what so how would you how would you qualify this reality it it's not a tragedy it's not a comedy Mm -hmm. it it's strictly reality um the show is based off of 50 different interviews i held with 50 different people from current recovering addicts to families who have lost someone families who have someone in recovery even friends my age who have parents in recovery or still using or who have lost the battle, um, even paramedics, nurses, strangers off the street who I, I'm, I'm a pretty ballsy person and I, I just walked right up to them and I, I just start talking about it and they're, they were willing to engage in the conversation because it's such a current issue. It's of human interest. What was the most surprising thing you learned in those 50 conversations that you had that you just didn't expect? You didn't see it coming. What happened? Oh, gosh. There was a lot. Mostly from the paramedics. Um, I interviewed, well, I interviewed overall, I think it was four paramedics. And it's kind of funny because I had passed out at a dining hall on campus. You did? Yeah. And, um, just what, because I, I hadn't not, eaten. I'm missing the humor. I hadn't right? eaten all day, and I, oh, okay. I passed out. And then these, <laughs> these paramedics came, and they're trying to take me to the hospital. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go. And they're like, what happened? Like, why don't you want to go to the hospital? I'm like, they gave me a bill. And so finally, uh, they take me into the ambulance car just to check on me. They're like, okay, okay, we're not going to take you to the hospital. We just want to check to make sure you're okay. I'm like, okay, 
just take my blood pressure and give me a turkey sandwich. And so finally, they, they sit me down, they're taking my vitals, and I look at them and I'm like, hey, let's talk about this. They're like, talk about what? I'm like, the heroin epidemic. One of them rolled their eyes so far in the back of the head, I thought they popped a blood vessel. And then another one got really quiet. And the one who rolled his eyes was, was more, oh, God, like, it, it's so annoying. Like, it, it happens all the time, and I'm, I'm just not surprised anymore. And then the other one was saying that he got involved because of the heroin epidemic. And I was like, why is that? And he said, well, my, my old girlfriend passed away from an overdose. And I was like, I'm so sorry to hear. And he was like, well, yeah, I, I was going to propose to her. So I thought, I love this woman. I'm going to do my part. Although she may be gone, I'm going to become a paramedic and, and save those who could possibly have a, a furthered future, just, just like she could have. And so I'm sitting there eating my turkey sandwich, and I'm, I was heartbroken yeah, because sure. I'm torn. Because I, I could see where one paramedic is saying that it, he's so tired of it, and he's so frustrated, and it, it's become so, so normal to him. But then another paramedic is saying, it, it took my future away. This epidemic ruined my life and stole my future wife from me but I'm going to become a part of this movement and help save others. And it, it really touched me. Sure. It, it really did. Because that not only is it surprising to have those two different aspects in, in one little car, but also to, to just feel the impact of their stories and, and their feelings. And that's kind of why I decided to make it a stage play. Because with theater you get that personable connection rather than the media. Mm-hmm. Sure. The media, you can listen and read all you want, but with a stage play, you're up close and personal with the characters. You see their reactions. You see their facial expressions. You can feel their atmosphere and the energy. So let's talk about the name. You came up with a name that's Independent, The Heroin Project. Yes. Tell and us about that. Independent is actually kind of like two separate words. So it's like in is in parentheses and then dependent is on its own. So it's interchangeable. And Why is that? Well, dependent is synonymous to addiction. And that kind of shows that an addict is dependent on the substance until they become independent, meaning no longer needing the substance and trying to become themselves then in recovery. And it's not just a show, it comes with great responsibility. So the reason why it is the Heroin Project is that whatever theater it's performed at, uh, the closest rehabilitation center, all the proceeds and donations go to them. 100%. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. That's great. And, uh, thank you. So you're going to be performing later, starting this Friday. Yeah. At the yeah. Akron oh Civic. Yeah. It opens this Friday, this Friday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. And what would be our recovery center for these two shows? Oriana House. The Oriana House. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. So we decided to reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I also asked if they had a list of any 
like physical products they needed, like toothbrushes, toothpaste, mm. um, clothes, coffee, because let me tell you, they love coffee. Um, even like board games to keep their hands busy, puzzles. Uh, and they, they gave me a list, a list of things that they needed. And so I put that out there through Akron Civic, my own page, and my high school that I graduated from, Howland, their band and speech and debate teams are actually collecting items to bring to the show so that we can donate them to Oriana House. Wow. And so it, it's really heartwarming yeah. to, to see my, my alma mater still reach out and still support me, uh, especially in something that they've been a part of as well. Because I'm not sure if you've done research, but um, for my high school, they have had heroin epidemic assemblies and now change their drug policy to drug test anyone who's in sport, marching band, or has a parking permit, uh, especially after all of the graduates who have recently passed away. So for those that are going to attend your performance mm-hmm. on Friday and Saturday, that's August 4th and August 5th yes. at the Akron Civic Theater. At 8 o'clock. Can they bring along something to donate? Yes, they may. What could they bring? Yes, they may. Let me read to you what you some may of the, bring. some of those items. Uh, let's see. Well, all the money, so if you donate any any money, mm-hmm. um, those are actually going to go to treatment staff to purchase educational and supportive materials for clients. Oh, okay. So already. they could come write a check, oh, and yeah. then the staff would take care of uh, mm-hmm. getting some of the supplies. Okay. And then uh, we will also be collecting socks, underwear, uh, soap holders, toothbrushes, toothbrush holders, shower gel, um, even shampoo and conditioner. Uh, washcloths, and deodorant, men's and women's, and then plain t-shirts, slippers, sandals, um, of any sizes. But we just hope for them to be new, uh, especially the socks and underwear. Uh, if you have any plain t-shirts or slippers and sandals, um, as long as they're they're lightly worn, we, we will still accept them. Uh, we're just asking for things to still be clean and, and considerate. Okay. Let's move along and get into the meat of the play before we run out of time here. Okay, (laughs) So um, I find this fascinating. One of your main characters in the play is actually heroin Mm -hmm. itself. Yes. Tell us about that and how that came about. Well, when I was going through all my research, um, I researched the topic of heroin from anywhere from the chemical, biological, uh, neurological aspect to the physical, mental, emotional aspect. And I thought, there are tons of different shows that portray heroin as simply the drug. Just people being high, using the drug, or people having a little baggie of it. And I thought, I want everyone to see this show, including current and recovering addicts. And I do not want them to feel uncomfortable. I do not want them to feel like I'm romanticizing this. I do not want them to feel triggered. So no triggers out there. No needles, no bags, no, et cetera. No, yeah. And so I decided to personify heroin. So heroin is a person. It is a female uh, because she's more so of a temptress and she's very manipulative. And I wanted heroin, the drug, to be personified showing those chemical aspects of how the drug completely rewires your brain and the way you act and the way you look into a person. So here you have that personality with this character showing, uh, manipulating the other characters or even making them feel less than, making them feel like they need her 
making them live off of her. And the only time she's really upset is when they try to push her away, when, when they try to, to become clean, when they try to go into recovery. And that's kind of when symptoms of withdrawal, her being violent, being cruel, um, ripping you up from the inside out, or, or even making her, or making you uh, kind of like forced to use her through, through that addiction, through that withdrawal, thinking, I can't do this anymore. I just need her back to make me feel better. So that's kind of what she's like. Yeah, so um, the storyline then revolves around Ryan and Emily, who meet at a uh, Narconics Anonymous meeting. Mm-hmm. And he's been clean for about three years, and she's trying to get clean. Um, so tell us a little bit about those lead characters and why you chose them to tell that story. Well... When it comes to stage plays, I don't know if you've ever seen one. I, but I've seen plenty of them. Like oh, yeah. they get boring, <laughs> and especially if there's no singing or dancing. And I thought, well, how am I going to make an interesting stage play about a very interesting topic, a very touchy, interesting topic? And I went through all these different obstacles. And so in the end of the day, I decided to, chose, to choose two characters and I decided to give them ultimatums. So one character lives to tell the tale and become an addiction counselor and continues to be an activist for this movement. Now, don't give us too much here. Ooh, don't, ooh, don't, no, don't spoil uh, the... But... Okay. The other, you'll have to see where they end up. And I understand there's also a girlfriend in there that plays a role. Yes, there is. Um, Anne is the girlfriend to Ryan. And Ryan uh, came, comes in during the very first scene to ask Anne a very important question. Uh, but then it just kind of falls apart. So their relationship then just disintegrates to the ground. But later on in the show, in you see Anne again um, with another surprising character. And the two connect, but also talk about their struggles and their past with Ryan. So you're dealing with some very, very heavy topics. And somehow you manage to put in a little bit of levity as the play goes along. How did you work that in? How did you work that balance? How did you come up with that balance? That's difficult. I didn't really have to come up with the balance because the show itself is based off of those 50 interviews. So everything that those 50 brave people spoke to me about with their experiences, who they are, their personalities, that's how I came up with the characters and the storyline. So each situation in the show actually happened in real life. I just decided to take all those different situations and place them in a puzzled order. And even with the characters, like six different interviews go into Ryan's personality. Uh, I think about four go into Emily's. Um, we even have a paramedic who's a stepfather of Ryan and a, a mother who is very protective of Ryan and who has been through this with him before. And so you see so many different sides of this emotionally and, and also mentally. And so with that dark and light, it, it's just pure reality. Because, I mean, in reality, there is dark and there is light. And there is an equilibrium. 
So that's why I decided to bring into the show with showing all these different aspects, these different views, with still putting in those little jokes that some of the interviewers would say and and even um, the the lighthearted moments where where they would be going out on a date or they'd, they'd say something really funny or really messed up. Um, but even with even with another character, oh my goodness, there is a character who is a drag queen. Oh, and I didn't read about this. I, oh yes, there is a character who is a drag queen, and she's in her drag gear. She's so beautiful. Her name is Gigi. She's lovely. And it's funny because she attends the Narcotics Anonymous meetings in her beautiful outfits before she goes to her her work because she performs in drag shows. And so she's all done up before she's got to go to work, but she still makes time to go to the meetings because she finds out they help. Wow. <laughs> so um, what else do we need to know about the show? Before we, before I get on to audience takeaways and what you want them to learn, what else should? I want people to understand that there are two different sides to the show. Uh, the show itself is very emotional and mental, and then there is a scientific aspect to it. So within the characters, there's a lot of psychology within it. So it's kind of like as you watch the show, you're going to analyze these characters and and try to try to discover who they truly are from the inside out, or try to even accentuate on your your observations through them. Um, but also, before, during intermission, and after the show, we're going to have a slideshow on on big screens on either side of the stage oh. that show the science and definitions behind addiction, treatments, Narcan, and the chemistry of, of how addiction occurs, and even the, the chemical similarities between morphine and endorphins, or even um, your, your local rehabilitation facilities and what treatments are out there for you, or even defining Narcan and what it does for you, which is the the brand name for uh, naloxone. Right. And so... It brings you back from the dead. Yes, that, yeah. that revives you. Mm-hmm. And it it's so interesting because this slideshow that I created shows you so much that people don't know. For example, with Narcan, thinking, oh, well, these addicts just think that they can, they can shoot up and overdose and then they can come back to life. Well, no, you're wrong. It, it doesn't do that. It doesn't save you. It just helps you. It's an assistant. It actually opens your opiate receptors for 30 to 90 minutes. And if you don't get any medical attention within that time, for example, if you don't go to the hospital or call, it, call the paramedics, then you have a chance to regress back into your overdose state within those 30 to 90 minutes. So this isn't a lifesaver. It's not a magic fix-it mobile. This is something that assists you in, in bringing you back to life. Because there's so many people that then get into the debate of, oh, well, law enforcement shouldn't carry Narcan. For example, over in Butler County, which is yeah. a completely different aspect. I perfect will not, example, I will by not the way. Rant. That's a perfect example. Oh, yes. Thank yeah. you. Uh, which I, I will not rant about because I, I will go on forever about I, it. I think we both could. But it, it's ridiculous because mm-hmm. these are people. This is this is a life-saving drug, but it does not 
it, it's not like you shoot it up your nose and you're done, you know? You, you still need that medical attention. There's so much more to it. And that's the problem is that people are not properly educated on this. And so this is what that slideshow does. Excellent. And that's even what the table in the back with all the flyers and pamphlets of local rehabilitation centers do as well. Uh, they even give you more information on Vivitrol, uh, which is the, the new opioid blockade or uh, blockade. Right. And so they the usually, shot. yeah, the you shot. Take that once um, a month and you can't get high no yes. matter what. Yes, and it's nice because um, currently I have a friend who's taking Vivitrol, and she likes the shot because you still get that endorphin rush of the needle. Interesting. And it, it is very interesting. And yeah. Because I had of, never heard it described like that, mm-hmm. but that makes sense. And, I mean, that's another one of the triggers. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, she said she, she used to take the pill form, and she just did not like it. But she's also very forgetful, so she would always forget to take it. It's daily. Oh, yeah. So it, that's it's daily. different. It's not 30 and days. You could be so busy. Sure. And, I mean, I think some women can handle it more because they could treat it like birth control because mm-hmm. you have to take birth control daily at mm-hmm. a specific time. Right. So they could probably just do the same with that. But even for men, um, I, I think they would have a, a bigger issue with, like, maybe forgetting or even just, like, sure. not— not feeling obligated to take it. Whereas when you have that monthly shot, you you feel like you have something to look forward to. You have that obligation and you know the power, what it can do for you. And plus, shots are actually, they work much better than the pill themselves um, just because it's going directly into your bloodstream. So now we're ready for what lessons you like your audience that comes and sees the play. What lessons would you like them to come away with? I would like for them to listen, learn, and understand. This entire epidemic is based off of miscommunication and improper education. Even growing up in my high school, I learned that drugs are bad, don't do them. Well, then it makes you want to do them. Because why is it so bad? Why are you telling me to not do something that I've never done? And then comes into play with people having their own perspectives on, on the drug itself through experience. However, who knows better than addicts themselves? Who, who am I to judge? Who am I to say something about, about a drug or about a person who I don't know or that I've never done? And so what I want people is to to take away the lesson of having an open mind and to sit and be able to communicate. And there are three different forms of communication. There's listening, speaking, and reading. And listening is actually the biggest one in that list. Oh, yeah. It's the most powerful, most Mm -hmm. effective, and and the biggest one on that list. Okay. I just want people to understand and to take away that addicts are people too. We're only human. We all make mistakes. So you said that you want people to know how they can make a difference. Mm -hmm. How can they make a difference? They can make a difference through political action or even through volunteering at needle exchanges, um, even volunteering at local rehabilitation centers or donating Donating is such a big factor because, ooh, or 
even getting your uh, chemical dependency counseling license. That, that is also a big kicker. Um, although you, you feel like you're inexperienced or are not as educated on the topic, if you walk into a rehabilitation center and you say, hey, I want to learn more about this, I guarantee you 12 people will come running towards you, sitting down with you and just giving you a cup of coffee and talking to you about it. Because that is the biggest thing, is just sitting down and talking about it. Because this is something that people are so uneducated about and in the dark about that they are scared. They, they are afraid of the unknown. And if you shine light on it, if you show, hey, I'm confident and I want to talk about it, can I teach you? And they're willing to listen and learn and understand and have that open mind, then they're finally being comfortable with the uncomfortable. So, Amelia, this is really, this has been great. Of course. Really, really uh, fantastic. You're so fun and to talk I'm, to. I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I can't wait to see the play. I, I think it's going to be terrific and uh, on many levels, um, but probably most profoundly the good that you're going to do in terms of the education that you'll provide in our community. And so you're to be commended for that. Oh, thank you. I'd, I really appreciate it. Okay. I, I really do. Um, but I... I mostly just, I can't thank those 50 people enough for just sitting down with me, giving me their time and being brave enough to share their stories with me so that I can make this project come to life. So let's conclude with your final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners (laughs) about the opioid epidemic and, you know, what uh, you would like Northeast Ohio to learn from your work. I would like for Northeast Ohio to not stereotype addicts. I would like Northeast Ohio to develop a more open mind and to develop better education for drug addiction and abuse and even just reaching out, not being afraid to sit down and talk, not being afraid to have that open mind based off of your environment and your surroundings. Because Although you are scared, although you're annoyed by the topic, there are people who have experienced this firsthand and who are willing to share their story with you. Thank you. Thank you. We've been visiting today with Amelia Sharon. Amelia is the playwright for a new play about the heroin epidemic, Independent, the Heroin Project. Amelia is a sophomore at Kent State University, my alma mater. And she has produced a play that I can't wait to see this week. It opens on Friday, August 4th, at the Akron Civic Theater. And I encourage all who can make it out to come out on either Friday or Saturday evening. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.